everybody. Welcome to the Large Nerdron Collider, the podcast that's all about the geeky things we love in this world and how excited we are about them. I'm Ariel Kasten, and with me as always is the king of the shaggy dog story, Jonathan Strickland. All right, so there are these people known as the Vikings. You can't, we're not there yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't, I'm not going to tell that joke. I mean, I'll probably get people asking me to tell the joke now that I've started it, but trust me, you do not need to hear the joke. It's much better <laughs> in person anyway, and Ariel, true. bless her heart, has her, had to hear that story approximately 200 I'm, times. I mean, honestly, uh, Honestly, if people want to hear the joke, which uh, is alluding to the fact that uh, due to a listener suggestion, we are going to talk about some of our Redfest experiences, um, which is where Jonathan tells a lot of those stories. But if they want to hear the joke, uh, they can do so by looking up one of our old LNC videos on YouTube. So that's true. That's true. We took we took some videos someone shot at the at the Renaissance Festival of me of one of the many times I told that joke. By the way, it's a joke that. I would uh, edit quite a bit if I were telling it now. And uh, because there's some there's some um, stuff that has not aged well and probably never should have been in the yeah. joke in the first place. But, probably. you know, it was a different time. And we'll talk about that, too, with the Renaissance Festival stuff. But before we get into yes. all of that, uh, unbeknownst to me, but beknownst to Ariel, she actually came up with a 30 seconds or less story, but I've already told her that because there's only one of them, I'm not going to bother with the music. We're just going to talk about it. So Ariel, what I, was the interesting, quirky story you found? It's te- I mean, technically two, uh, technically two stories we're going to talk about before we get into Renfest, but that's yeah. Okay. But the second one wasn't really a 30 seconds or less. That was more of a discussion, <laughs> uh, but I bet it would only take 30 seconds or less to talk about. Anyhow, uh, so, yeah, I didn't just on a whim, I went through and looked at, you know, our normal sources for geeky news um, in case there was anything we could talk about. And there was a story. CNN Travel reported that over 100 people got trapped inside of Agatha Christie's former home while on a tour. A storm knocked a tree down and I think took power out. Uh, it sounds like the beginning to one of her stories, right? Yeah, Agatha Christie, best known for her murder mystery stories, uh, many of which have been adapted into other forms of media. And I was joking with Ariel while, you know, when she told me this before we started recording, I said, uh, yeah, you know, if it were a real Agatha Christie story, there'd be significantly fewer than 100 people to rescue by the time <laughs> the whole thing was over. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I want to correct, it just stranded them there. I don't think it took out the the power, but mm. still. Yeah, I mean, get, being stranded in, in a murder mystery novelist's home because of weather is, in fact, the setup for a murder mystery. So it was uh, it was very fitting and um, and and you could argue coincidental, but still an amusing story, especially since at least some of our mutual friends seem to think we're already in spooky season and that Halloween is right around the corner. You know, I, I appreciate their enthusiasm, but I like, I don't want to, I don't want to wish any days away. Like that's the thing is time is short. And I so often go, how are we already at this time stamp in the year? And so, you know, I enjoy spooky season. I enjoy apple cider and crunching leaves and cooler weather, but I'm going to enjoy what I have right now. Today. I mean, 
if if it meant that we were getting temperatures and like highs in the 70s starting tomorrow, I would be putting the jack-o'-lanterns out right now. I'm going to tell you because it is hot. Yeah, well, you know, I when it's cold, I I wish for hot weather so I could go swimming, which I'm planning to do this weekend. Yay. Um. <laughs> yeah, my air, my office isn't air conditioned. And so uh, I I just think you should stop being so cruel toward me. OK, uh, I will do that. And we will also <laughs> move on to the next thing we wanted to talk about before RenFest. Uh, and we might make this a shorter episode just so Jonathan doesn't melt. Yeah, we're both a bit long winded. So we'll see if that happens. The other uh, notable thing in the news to today or this week. No, I guess today is appropriate. Uh, yesterday we got news that I, I at sea, um, Broadway might go on strike. Um, and today we got news that there is a tentative agreement. So hopefully strike won't happen. Yeah. The IATSE is the international Alliance of theatrical stage employees, and they actually have different divisions and different contracts. So this particular contract is called the pink contract covers around a thousand five hundred union members who are in departments like like stagehands or makeup or wardrobe, that kind of stuff. So obviously shows need these people in order to operate. And these are folks who are like top of their game. They are they are absolute pros and their agreement with the the theatrical producers and Disney uh, had uh, expired pre COVID. But then of course, COVID really did a big number on live theater. Uh, their old contract terms were extended a couple of times. And then they were heading up to a point where they were having trouble reaching, uh, agreement with the producers. That's a common thing to say these days. And that they had a list of demands they wanted met. They couldn't come to an agreement, so there was this chance that Broadway could have gone dark starting Friday, July 21st, when this episode is going out. But um, we're recording it on the 20th. Uh, and as Ariel mentioned, they've reached a tentative agreement, but that actually has to go to the union as a whole. And the union members need to vote on it before uh, it becomes active. And so there's still a chance that the union will reject this new agreement and that uh, it's there's still a chance that we could see a strike uh, in the future, although it'll probably take a while because all the union members first have to, you know, receive the agreement before they can vote on it. Yeah. Um, and, and this would also not it wouldn't just affect Broadway there. Well, one, it wouldn't affect all of Broadway. There are like two Broadway shows that aren't under that contract. Um, yeah. But also it would affect touring shows. A lot mm -hmm. of touring shows, at least. So um, I, I stand behind IATSE in trying to get better working agreements. Um, it's going to be an interesting summer if every avenue of entertainment shuts down. I mean, you'll still have local theater because local That's theater true. is different, right? Because this, this doesn't have to do with uh, local theater unions or anything like that. So you'll have that. Um, uh, although, and, and like in the state of Georgia, uh, unions, being in a union sometimes means that you don't get theater work anyway, because <laughs> Georgia's a right to work state. There's only a couple of union oriented theaters in the state. I mean, honestly, that's why I switched to film and television, because, you know, I really wanted to, 
pursue acting as a, a career, you know, work, <laughs> pursuing being a working actor is not easy, uh, but it is much, much harder if you are just staying in the stage. Yeah, because there's only a couple. They tend to have, they do fair auditions and that's all great and they bring new people in, but they tend to have, you know, people that they know and that they love and that they use each season providing those people are available and fit the roles. So it's also a, a lot fewer roles that you get. To yeah, I mean, there, there are more union members than there are roles that are available, right? Like yeah. when you look at the the union houses in our city, uh, I know, I think Shakespeare Tavern has at least certain some union. And then I know Alliance Theater does. And mm -hmm. there might be others that also have union, but most are non-union houses. And in fact, uh, you know, they, they would rather not cast union performers because that would mean they'd have to meet certain minimum requirements in order to have a union member as part of the cast. Yeah. And a lot of houses just uh, either don't want to or can't afford to do that. And so it also means to Ariel's point that if you want to be an actor in Atlanta, either you are fighting tooth and nail for maybe a couple of dozen roles that you could potentially play in a year against every other union actor in the, in the state or you're, you're non-union, but that means you're also probably not being paid. Or if you are being paid, your compensation is so small as to not even necessarily cover your gas to get to and from the gig. Yeah. So I think there are a few more union theaters in Atlanta than just those two. Uh, there were at least before the pandemic, I would have to go and research. And I did not do that research before today because it's been about five years since I've been in stage theater. Uh, I'm actually in a play opening next weekend. Uh, but uh, yeah, a, a lot of theaters want to pay their people at some sort of reimbursement, but they just can't afford it. Even like on stage, which is one of the bigger theaters that usually pays their actors a stipend, they're struggling because uh, funding after the pandemic has gone way down in Atlanta. Um, and also uh, audience numbers haven't gone back up fully. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. just a really hard time. Definitely go support your local theaters during this time. Definitely do it. I'm going out. Not only am I in a play, but I'm going out to support local theater next weekend. So do it. Out of curiosity, what are you going to go see? I'm going to Dad's Garage's Friday night birthday show. Oh, okay, yeah, cool. Uh, you know, it's funny because I haven't even, I didn't even uh, uh, buy tickets for that. And considering how frequently I've been to Dad's Garage, that is crazy. Because I've been to most of their birthday parties since 2001. Uh, all right. I, well, I, I've never been, I've never been to one of the birthday parties, but, uh, we're going to try to go as most or all of our band because, you know, they've been nice enough to let us play some of their gigs and we want to go back and give support. So that's awesome. Yeah. And their, their birthday shows are typically are a lot of fun. They usually are kind of a, almost like, like a, a, a variety show. Often they will, I mean, sometimes they'll just do kind of a, a theater sports style improv show, but sometimes what they'll do is sort of a selection of the types of stuff that they're doing throughout the season, which can sometimes even include previews to upcoming shows. And uh, yeah. they do have a, a musical coming up pretty soon that I am excited to see. It's a remount of a show that they did yeah. years ago. My, so. ba my bandmate was telling me about that. Uh, well, if you go, let me know and I'll tell you where I'm sitting. Um, Will do. I think 
I think Friday they're doing karaoke afterwards, though I don't know if the people, if everybody else I'm going with will be uh, pumpkining at that point. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I tend to, I, I usually have just enough energy to go to the show and then I'm like, I can hang out and say hi to some of the people I know, but I need to get home before much longer than that because I, I, I don't know, I've, before the pandemic, I was definitely a lot more extroverted. And now I find myself completely drained after engaging in you, relatively simple social, you know, environments. Most people have lost their social stamina. Like uh, during the pandemic, a lot of people conserved their energy. And so now getting back out and, and expending that energy on other people, while it's delightful and, you know, rewarding in its own right, it's it, it takes a bit to build that stamina back up. But you know what? I'm sure all of you listeners really loved us talking about our next weekend plans for a local theater. Let's Well, I mean, like it, it I think it's interesting because it shows that, you know, we actually do believe in going to local theater and supporting the mm -hmm. local arts. It's not just that we're talking about it, we're actually doing it. Yeah, yeah. But let's now uh do a listener suggestion. Right. And who was it that asked us to talk about our experiences with the Georgia Renaissance Festival? Uh, Deborah did. Thank you, Deborah. And I just want to say thank you to everybody who's being super supportive in this time where we're kind of having to change our format up a little bit. Uh, the the amount of like positive feedback we got and support and suggestions has just been like super amazing and heartwarming. So uh, love it. Yeah. Uh, how would you like to start this conversation? Oh, God, that I have not figured out. Um, <laughs> well, I, I've got I've got a way of kind of getting into it, uh, which is that the the two of us had different approaches to getting involved with the Renaissance Festival, because uh, in my case, I was convinced by a person who was in a show with me. In your case, you inherited it. Yeah. No, I did not inherit it. No, I thought your mom no, worked there before you did. Oh, no, sir. Oh, hey, Ooh. whoa. Watch it. Listen. Hey, careful. <laughs> I love you, mom. Uh, <laughs> no, I did my first year at the Georgia. I auditioned. Uh, uh -huh. I'm going to go back to my story. You've In fourth grade, the Renfest did a promo at a, a local uh, at a local like um apartment complex and one of my friends and I went with her family and we enjoyed, you know, their, their shows and their street characters and some of the food. And it was wonderful. And I was like, oh, I love this. Made me want to be a kissing wench. Uh, and then when I was 18, I was doing community theater in Roswell. And one of the people in that community theater, I, I had wanted to audition for Renfest. I was seeing it every year and I always talked myself out of it. That's a, a, a big problem that, you know, insecure actors do. Uh, and, uh, I auditioned for the Renaissance Festival and uh, my uh, it's it's a little bad because I auditioned for the Renaissance Festival and I auditioned for uh, the Little Prince, which is a stage play at the community theater I was at. My mom and I both auditioned for Little Prince. We both got in, but I also got cast in the Renfest and they had conflicts and I had to pick the Renfest. But one of my, uh, I'm going all over the place. One of the guys that I acted with at this community theater told me he did Renfest and encouraged me to go out. I auditioned for a kissing wench. I got the old maid. The next year, my mom auditioned and also got cast. Uh, and they, they were like, well, 
if you want to play another character, we could make you an apprentice to your mom. And I'm like, you can't do that. I've had more experience than her, uh, which leads to a whole nother issue with uh, Renfest structure that maybe we will not get into. Um, or maybe we will, because in some ways it does play a lot of, of parallels with the union yeah. stories, too. So, yes, yes. But then, uh, you know, through that back and forth, they're like, you're right. How about you play this lady in waiting? So second year I played a lady in waiting and I got to do combat and we found like a good we, we my own negotiations <laughs> for my position at fair. Um, and it was really interesting that they offered me an apprenticeship spot because that first year I had won most improved actor. And I don't even think there was like, I, it was really clicky in that time. Like there were lots yeah. of clicks yeah. and I feel we'll like, talk about that. Yeah. And I feel like that's, and I'll, I'll stop after this so you can give your origin story as well. But, uh, I feel like that is why I got most improved because I was out there working the street every day, asking so many people to marry me, convincing them to get on their knees. Uh, and like, I worked hard and I did well. And there were lots of things that are like, you're not getting, maybe it's because they didn't think my bits would work, but my bits worked. My bits worked really well. So I don't know why I got most improved. And then I also don't know why uh, the next year I was possibly looking at an emotion that I did not get. Anyhow, that is my origin story. I loved working Renfest with my mom. I'm glad she joined, but I was first. Gotcha. And this was 2001 was your first season? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think your so. first season was my last one of my first stint. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so my origin story in 1999, <laughs> shortly after the real Renaissance, I was, uh, I was in a, a little goofy parody show called Romeo and Ethel, the pirate's daughter. Uh, I've been and, in that, but not, yeah, not that first not, one. Not the first one. So in that first one, we performed it at Dragon Con, the big science fiction fantasy fan convention that happens in Atlanta every year. And one of the other people on cast was someone who had been working at the Renaissance Festival. And she mentioned that there were auditions coming up for the fall season of the festival. So this was like early in our rehearsals for Romeo and Ethel, which was a fairly ambitious show for this very amateur theater group. Uh, and I say amateur in that we just didn't have the experience, not that they were bad. It's just that everything was harder because we weren't seasoned at it. Mm -hmm. So we had a very long rehearsal process. And during that rehearsal process, we heard about the auditions for uh, the Renaissance Festival. And so my partner and I decided we would both audition. And um, we went to the auditions, uh, which were held in little five points back in those days. And, uh, I had the best audition of my entire life for the Georgia Renaissance Festival, which irks me to this day that I wasted it on that, <laughs> but no, I had, you a, have had other good auditions, my friend. I've had other good auditions. This one was almost flawless. Like I walked in the, the you were, you had to give a, a comedic a monologue as part of your audition. And they liked mine. And it was one that they hadn't heard a billion times. Cause I got an old, like Peter cook, uh, uh, monologue from, from beyond the fringe days. And not a lot of people mind that for a comedy and it went well. And then they had me do improv as several different characters. And all of that went well. And the very next day I got a call from the director saying that I had been hired. I didn't have to go in for a callback. I was good to go. Um, uh, the only thing was that my partner did not immediately get cast. And so for a while it was like, well, if, 
if she doesn't get cast, I'm not going to go because I don't want to spend all those weeks away from her. Plus, I'd, you know, it just it would be really complicated. But she got cast mm-hmm. as well. So gotcha. I did a stint from 99 to 2001. So I was there for for Ariel's first season and then I was gone uh, till probably about 2000. Well, I, I showed up briefly on one day in 2002 as a gag, uh, as the character I had played from 99 to 2001. Then I was gone, came back in 2008, uh, could not play my original character, who was the mayor of the town, because at that point they had a different actor playing the mayor. So I just decided to promote myself and made myself the Lord Admiral. Uh, Same character, just different rank. And I was there from 2008 to probably 2011 or 12, maybe 13. Left again, came back again for a few more seasons and then left. And I think now it's well and truly done for multiple reasons. So uh, in all of my time at the Renaissance Festival, I have played four street characters. How many, I know you've played a lot. So how many street characters have you been, including your, your musical character? Now I'm trying to figure out whether my mom was there my first season. (laughs) I don't remember her being there, but for some reason it had it in my head that she had performed at a Renaissance festival in the past. So that was my mistake. She did. So she did. Um, I feel like the first year I was there by myself and then she played the herbalist and then she played indigo dry brush. My mom played two characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the time she was playing indigo dry brush, uh, I was uh, lady killing him. Uh, but I've played, let's see, there was Liza alone a lot. Um, the old maid. That's one. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was Vogue Lamode, a fashion consultant to the queen. That was two. There was uh lady killing him softly with his words. Uh, that was three black widow. There was a uh, ki- band. Does that count? My band. Yeah. Beatrice flats and Hanson Benson, Johnson, tall and small and Svensson Swanson, but friends color be flat. So that's one, two, three, four. And then I was lady Emilio Nair. That's five. And then I was a kissing wench. That's six. And then I went back and I, Oh, uh, I did like one weekend as a fill in for um, lady de winter. During well, if we're yeah, if we're counting fill-ins, I guess I've been five. I didn't think about fill-ins. Yeah. But yeah. six six to seven if if fill-ins count seven, if not, then six. Yeah. So in my case, I was uh the mayor Edmund Vainglory the third uh for my original run. And um the whole the whole shtick with him is that he was a very pompous uh character toward all the 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 peasants, but would bow and scrape for all the nobility because he was smack dab in the middle. Uh, We would have a village hierarchy, which would tell you where you fell socially uh, among the status of all the other characters. And so I was smack dab in the middle. And um, so I got to play tyrant to all the peasants and toady to all the nobles, which was a lot of fun. But then, like I said, when I came back, the mayor role had been taken. I still was Edmund Vainglory the third. I really didn't change the character that much. I just made him Lord Admiral. So now he was like right below the king and queen because Lord Admiral is a very, very high position. So I went straight to like tyrant unless the king and queen were there. (laughs) So (laughs) it was was slightly different. Then um, I was, uh, 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 was I Sebastian Akis? I can't remember. So I, I didn't 
this wasn't a character I created, but uh, uh, a, a mutual friend of ours was playing this character, one of the two villains, one season of the festival, and he got very, very seriously injured and a work injury, and they needed someone to step in for the first couple of weekends. So they called me up and uh, I stepped in and I, I played a, a Spanish, you know, uh, swordsman for a couple of weekends. That was the fill in character. Uh, then I was uh, the Lord Admiral a couple more times. And then I came in as uh, one, a French swordsman, a one eyed <laughs> French swordsman, uh, Robert Camembert, Marquis de Roquefort. So lots of cheese puns. And then my last season there, I was William Shakespeare as in the actual playwright, William Shakespeare. That was the character I played. Uh, very odd because uh, the, the, the monarch at the time was neither Elizabeth nor James. So technically <laughs> I shouldn't have been William Shakespeare, but we've never been sticklers for actual, you know, historical alignment. So it was, it was decided that it was fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was your, was, was the mayor your favorite or was the Admiral your favorite or I think the Admiral was my favorite for, for a few reasons. Uh, I, I found my stride as the mayor, uh, the mayor I felt was in some ways, the mayor was the most fun to play because I did get a chance to play very different characters depending upon, uh, what other characters might be present. Uh, whenever I was with patrons guests who were there at the festival, uh, I was very, very silly and supercilious and, and self-important. And, uh, I, I invented a holiday called hug your mayor day, which, uh, I would, I would open up my arms and say, it's hug your mayor day. And either people would giggle and walk past, which was perfectly fine. Or sometimes they would actually give me a hug, which was also okay. The best one being when a, a young woman and her extremely tall boyfriend came up. And I announced it was hug your mayor day. And she looks up at her boyfriend and says, well, it is hug your mayor day. And he says, all right. And he runs up to me and grabs me and lifts me off my feet in a big bear hug. Yeah. And I was like, this is the best. This is the best yeah. outcome that could have happened with this because it's such, I can play it up as a character mm -hmm. and they're having a great time and she's laughing and he's laughing and the people around us are laughing. Like that's what you, that's what you're living for as a street character. So yeah, I think mayor is my, uh, my favorite. Uh, what, who was your favorite to play? Um, so like the thing is, you know, the, the moments that you remember are moments like that. The moments where you can, uh, 100% solidly quantify the enjoyment you're giving to other people. Right. Like that's, yeah. that's what it's all about. Um, and I've had those moments with most of my characters. Um, gosh, I don't. I it's hard. I really don't know. It was clearly um, Vogue La Mode because you got to hang out with me so much in those years. I did. Uh, I did love Vogue once I reprised her because she was my second character. And then she was my uh, and my mom. My mom confirmed uh, if you heard pings in the background, that was my phone and my computer. My mom confirmed she came in on my second season. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> love you, mom. Uh, <laughs> but uh I really liked Vogue when I was able to come back and play her the way I wanted to play her with a supportive court. Um, again, I had a lot of fun with her the first time, but the court was less supportive of the character and would often do things that they thought were funny, but just felt like they were picking denying, on you, 
picking on me, denying my character, wasting my props that I was paying for myself. I used to type in Gribbons Around Trees. Um, and I did that both at my circuit first and second reprisal because as a, a street character, you know, you would have your bits and then you would have what are called lotsies, which are things you could do visually that were low energy when you're hot or you're tired that would still entertain the audience. So for me, it was fashionifying the trees, tying pink ribbons on them because I was all about pink. Um, and the court, when I first played it, the king decided he hated that. And I mean, that's that's a valid, that's a valid character choice because we're told, you know, be be Muppets, either love or hate things. There's no in between. But as a part of that, he would have people cut ribbons off of trees and bury them in the sand, in the dirt. And I'm like, if you don't like the ribbons, I'm not tying them on tight. Untie them, give them back to me. I can reuse them. But they didn't do that. Um, yeah, instead, you're 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 constantly having to resupply your uh, your ribbon and and continue to spend. So. Yeah, that's a that's a bummer. Uh, I will say that your outfit for Vogue was spectacular. I again on the reprisal, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's well, that's the Vogue I was familiar with, right? Because that was the I was gone for the original Vogue La Mode. Like I wasn't there when yeah. you were playing her originally. I was there for the the second appearance of Vogue, and uh, because by then I was the Lord Admiral. Lord Admiral and Vogue would often be in the same court. In fact, we would often be paired together because Ariel and I were already good friends at this point. Mm -hmm. And we would usually be dancing partners for courtly dancing, which was funny because uh, I joke about Ariel towering over me. She is taller than I am. She's not like, like I'm not a, I'm not tiny and she's not, uh, not like a giant, but there is a height difference, but it made dancing more fun. Uh, for me, is there, I, I never about, noticed. Uh, <laughs> well, I did, but then also we would dance on hills, and occasionally that would mean that you would tower over me, depending on what side yes. you were on. Especially um, if I was wearing my tall hat. So yes, yes, you had a tall, uh, an Elizabethan, well, really Victorian era tall hat. Uh, uh, but again, we never were super picky. I mean, I wore a cavalier hat, yeah. which wasn't period either, so it's fine. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's. It's funny, you know, you mentioned bits and lotsies. Those were those were our currency as characters, right? We were yeah. we would do a lotsie in order to get attention, which may or may not feed into a bigger interaction. A bit mm -hmm. was when you had a planned interaction with the audience and uh, every character had to have lotsies and bits and you would workshop them throughout rehearsal where you would come up with ways that you would get attention for yourself where, you know, you, you it, it, both whether it was a stationary lotsy where you're standing or sitting in place and you're getting attention or a moving, a traveling lotsy where you're going from point A to point B, but you need to do something interesting while you're doing it and not just be, you know, head down, walking, getting to your destination. You're still a character you need to entertain as you move. So those were like the two big things. And then on top of that, you had character, character interactions, which ideally would be these bigger Turned into bits with audiences. Yeah. <laughs> bigger bits where it might be a competition between two characters. Uh, it might be someone trying to woo someone else. It might be tr someone trying to insult someone else, but these would be meant for larger crowds. Like you would try to do this to entertain a big group as opposed to like a, like a family or something. Uh, so those were kind of the the parameters we worked in. Yeah. Things changed dramatically over the years from the point mm -hmm. where we started to what it most recently is. But uh, 
when we began, the rehearsal process was really, really grueling. I mean, especially if you were a first year, you had so many rehearsals to go to. Uh, there was a, a first ton year of, go ahead. Or a new character. That's true. Or a new character, because the whole purpose of the rehearsal process is to discover who the character is, right? To, you, you know, you know, the role you're going to play. Like in my case, I was the mayor. They actually gave me a choice. My first season, they gave me the option of either being the mayor or the town doctor. And when they told me the choice, I was like, well, mayor outranks doctor. Clearly that's the character I want to play. <laughs> so I yeah. played the mayor um, and they had been uh, bitten by the fact that I think a mayor, maybe even the season before I started dropped out uh, early in the, the festival season and no one could get hold of them for like the rest of the run. And mm -hmm. um, so they were a little cautious about putting too much pressure on me, but it really wasn't pressure because I wasn't, I wasn't in most of the other stuff, but yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, that <laughs> that that rehearsal process was lengthy and exhausting and exhaustive yes. as well. Like we would start with a, an animal image where you would have to pick an animal to represent uh, what your character was so that it would inform mm -hmm. your personality and your movements and all that kind of stuff. So out of curiosity, do you remember what your animal image was for the old maid? Uh, yeah, it was, um, it was a chicken. A it was chicken. a chicken. It was a chicken. Cause I was like, ah, um, <laughs> nice. Mine was, uh, my dog, uh, Falstaff at the time. He was a Jack Russell Terrier. And when I explained Jack Russell Terrier, everyone thought I was playing the character wrong. I'm like, oh, you don't know my dog. <laughs> yeah. My dog, my dog thinks he's a big dog, but also if he runs into something he's not familiar with immediately turns cowardly. Uh, which is true. My dog once got scared because he saw a bucket and he didn't know what it was. So, yeah. um, um, you know, that was, that was the kind of character I was playing, but they were thinking of like the, the stereotypical Jack Russell Terrier, very, very, you know, alpha terrier kind of dog. And I was like, no, that's not really what I'm thinking about. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember, most of my animal images. I, I do want to go back and say, I also super loved my kissing wench. I I would play her again. Um, but we're in a world now where kissing wenches don't work unless you play them a very specific way. And I hate to be like the person who says I played it right. But I feel like I was the person who played it in a way that would be accessible nowadays. Um, well, well, and part of it was tough because like it, it had nothing to do with the actor but it had to do with the patron behavior, right? Like if you had huh. a patron patrons coming in and one of them is like insistent that you kiss their, their 10 year old son who is doing his darndest to try and escape because he's it, absolutely mortified. It's, it's just, it's not something that ends up being a pleasant experience for anyone involved. Yeah. You're, you're half right. It also has to do with the actor, but um, because a lot of times, at least at the Georgia Renaissance Festival, they would cast pretty first year people as kissing wenches. And that is a role because you have to learn how to gauge people's comfortability. If you haven't worked on the streets as a street character before, um, if you don't have a good understanding of drunk patrons, of shy patrons, of of all of these things, of people who are too hot, of, of people who just don't want to be interacted with, 
Um, if you can't gauge the level of interaction a person wants going into it, which everybody messes up. There are things that I could do better if I were a kissing wench again. Um, then you're going to fail. You're going to make people uncomfortable. You're going to be uncomfortable. It can be sometimes be dangerous because people have a fight or flight instinct and sometimes they pick a fight. Uh, And and also at the Renaissance festival is a place that serves alcohol and people, especially like before the, the blue laws were lifted definitely on Saturdays, Mm -hmm. but then after the blue laws were lifted Sundays too, people would hit that tavern as early as it would open. And, you know, in Georgia, the, the festival, when I started, there were two festivals. There was one in the fall and one in the spring. Mm-hmm. I did the very last fall season. We didn't know it was the last one while we were doing it. And my partner and I said, if we do it again, let's just do the fall. Let's not do spring because it's too hot. We'll do the fall. <laughs> and then they, and then there was the announcement that fall was done. They were not doing fall yeah. again. I went, no. Well, in the spring when it gets so hot, people drink even more. And they're not drinking necessarily yeah. water. They're drinking mead or beer or whatever and then you deal with um progressively intoxicated patrons and yeah. uh, that can that can be dangerous for them actually like i can't tell you how many times i had to run off to find uh, uh someone with a walkie-talkie to get mm-hmm. you know medical attention because somebody was dehydrated because all they had been drinking was alcohol it was too hot and yeah. they passed out yeah, because as a street character, you also had to, uh, you helped in, there were people who were like EMTs and there were people who were security, but you also helped those people because you're interacting with patrons. Um, uh, two two quick things. We're bouncing around so much and you're keeping the conversation going, but I have all these thoughts that I'm not getting out. And one of sure. them is beyond bits and lotsies, there are people who, uh, when, I was very much a bit actor. I loved my bits. I worked hard on them and they usually ended up in the person getting some sort of like tangible reward. And I love that. And I didn't mind pouring my own money into that. You were the kind of actor who, uh, loved doing bits with people, but you were very improvisational in your bits oftentimes, especially later on in the season. And that's something more seasoned actors could do again, like seasoned kissing wenches can gauge audiences and adjust, you know, Oh, this person doesn't want to kiss, but maybe we can teach them how to kiss their mom or, uh, if you build a well-rounded character pivot to something else that has nothing to do with kissing, but has to do with your character. Um, yeah. So it is interesting. There are people who would try to do the improv route, but they weren't strong street work. Street worker is not the right term street characters. Yeah. And so it didn't quite have the same payoff for audiences. The other thing is I will say like, I fought, I fought to be in scenario every single year because I loved doing combat. And I loved having moments where I could go to scripted and kind of just change up my day. And the year that I finally got into scenario, I got cast as a villain. And then uh, in the middle of the rehearsal process, the plot changed and we were no longer the villains of the story. Um, We were still kind of villainous, but we weren't like the villains. And that got really frustrating. I loved all the combat, even when I got my knuckle busted by another fighter and had to go get stitches and come back and do the rest of my fights for the day, which was like four or five per festival day. Um, but that as much fun as I had that season, that was my least rewarding character because it, I had to pivot in the middle of rehearsals and was no longer playing the character that I had built all this excitement for. Yeah. And and to help, help people who may not know what we mean when we say scenario, 
or as Ariel so pompously says, scenario. Uh, which That's how the quizster, that's how the quizster says it on Ridiculous History. Yeah. That's my character on Ridiculous History. So I'm yeah. trying not to great, fall into that character. Great minds think alike. <laughs> yes, he says, he's a scenario. Uh, but no, scenario at Renaissance Festival, that's like the overall story for the day. Like, why is the festival happening? And some years we didn't have one. Like we really didn't have a scenario. We just, we did an opening gate where it was just, oh, the King's here. Yay. And then pronounced the days started and there's a festival for no particular reason. Other seasons, we would have an actual like storyline, including villains who are trying to ruin the festival for one reason or another. Usually it involves stealing something that the King wants to give to the queen. Like, so that, that was the plot so many times that I made it a joke in one of the scenarios I wrote. But uh, yeah. but the overall story is something that as a patron, you can follow or you cannot. It doesn't really impact your day. But if you want to know the story, you can actually go and follow it. And when I first joined, it was much, much, much easier to follow the scenario because not only was it listed in the schedule for the day, but they they arranged for the scenario to play out on actual stages. So you would know to go to a specific stage at a specific time to see a chapter of the story unfold in later seasons, uh, more and more of the stages were given up to, to contracted stage acts that came in to perform. And the scenario was moved off the stages into the streets, which one, you can't really tell people, Hey, show up and show up in the lanes at this general location at this general time. And you'll see something. Uh, it also made it much harder to stage because you no longer had like, you know, you no longer had a stage to, to actually perform on. You were performing theater in the round and yeah. you had to be and audiences really... don't know what grassy knoll means. There's like five of them. Yeah. Well, and, and you also had to be careful, right? Because like, if you're, if you're doing stage combat in the lanes, you had to have extra people there to make sure the audience stayed at a safe distance so that they didn't get, yeah whacked by a sword like our swords weren't sharp but as ariel can attest you know you get hit by a stage sword or a stage axe or something like that it hurts i'm gonna and, say that um, the sword was not dulled oh wow okay well that was like or at least not dulled enough like they had bought that sword and if it was dulled it wasn't dulled properly but it all still had nicks in it from fighting with other swords. So yeah, you're, you're supposed to, you're supposed to file those down. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I would not have, no, I would never have fought in any fight where someone was not using an actual stage combat sword. That just would I just yeah. wouldn't <laughs> I'm like, no, it's that's fine. not safe. <laughs> it busted up my middle finger. I didn't realize till after the fight, the other fighters like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I love them. And it was an accident and I'm not mad. And sure. my finger is fine. That's, um, that's all fine. I don't, I don't, I'm not suggesting the actor was like purposefully or even really negligent other yeah. than the fact that they were not using a stage combat sword, which is in, in my yeah. mind, uh, you can't do that. But anyway, yeah, um, but, uh, but, oh no, that year was not the year that I was in. That was the second time I was in scenario as Vogue Mode. I was in scenario once as Vogue Mode. I was also in scenario once as a millionaire. When I was Vogue Mode in scenario, it was fine. Cause I liked that character. When I was Amelia O'Nair, I enjoyed being in scenario. Uh, I enjoyed the things I did, but it wasn't my favorite character. I did, however, get my lifelong uh, brother from another mother uh, during that season who I love and his family to me. So that is super awesome. Um, yeah, like, but the Ben, like, I didn't know. I had to go get stitches. 
a lot of my injuries at fair were things that I didn't realize at first. Um, <laughs> Yeah. It was on my middle finger, so the last fight of the day was a staff fight, and I ended up flicking everybody off because I couldn't bend my middle finger the entire season. Well, we were going to continue this conversation, but Ariel lost power because there's a massive storm moving into Atlanta, and it hit her part of Atlanta already. It hasn't hit me yet, so we're just going to call this part one. And it'll probably be a two-part, or who knows, maybe multi-part episode about our experiences at the Renaissance Festival. Now, we're going to talk about that next week. So if you have questions, specific questions you would like to ask us that pertain to the Renaissance Festival and our work there, whether it's, you know, how we put our characters together, what were the sort of things we thought about, if there were any like terrible moments that we had at the festival, because I had a couple or if there were, you know, questions about things like stage combat and or writing for the festival, all that kind of stuff, please feel free to ask. We actually have a lot of thoughts also about uh, how the festival has changed over the years. Uh, and I'll tell you now, uh, I am very grouchy, so I get real grouchy talking about it. But, uh, you know, you have to also understand that working at the festival was never a prestige job. <laughs> <laughs> even in the good old days as it were. But yeah, we can talk about all those sorts of things. If there are any, if there's anything specific you want to know, uh, you can reach out to us. Uh, let's see, Jonathan, how do they reach you? Well, Ariel, I'm glad you asked. If you wish to ask me a question, what you must do is travel out to the countryside and find yourself uh, a fairly, you know, uh, remote area, large area that you can retrofit into a Renaissance festival, right? That you can turn into a village. Uh, one important element of this village is while it needs to be remote, it also absolutely must be directly in line of air traffic from the local airport. Uh, if you don't have airplanes flying overhead numerous times a day, which absolutely drowns out anything you're trying to say while you're being in character, then it's not really a Renaissance festival. But yes, you must go and build a Renaissance festival. At this Renaissance festival, you have to have vendors and you have to have stages and areas where characters can interact with patrons and musicians can perform and create a lot of ambience so that you feel like you're in a magical distant land walking through time. You want to do all of that. You want to get all of that together. And the most important part is you need to make sure everyone who works for you, no matter what department they are in, feels valued and recognized for their contributions. And once you do that, you can ask me your question and I'll tell you an answer. Uh, but if you want the easier way, well, I'll let past Ariel tell you from some random episode I've just chosen to include here and cut out and paste into this one. And if you want to go through a little less trauma, you can contact us on social media. On Twitter, we're LNC underscore podcast. On threads, Instagram, and Facebook, we are Large Nerdron Collider. Uh, that's also our website, www.largenerdronecollider.com. I will post some of the strike news and, and maybe the community fund link there uh, sometime this weekend or week. Um, and yeah, you can check us out on Discord too. Um, until next time, I have been Ariel, um, 
casted. <laughs> and I am Jonathan Huzzah Strickland. The Large Nerdron Collider was created by Ariel Caston and produced, edited, published, deleted, undeleted, published again, cursed at, by Jonathan Strickland. Music by Kevin McLeod of Incomptech.com.